Good evening. I'd like to invite everyone to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is going to be the text for our study this evening. And um, I'd like you to turn there. As I, I know it's a passage you're familiar with, but uh, I think you'll hopefully see something a little extra special that you take home with you tonight and take with you in your life tonight that'll be part of your journey of Jesus that you'll, that you'll think about, that I think um, often about, and what we're going to study tonight in, in Matthew um, chapter 4. Um, it's hard to believe it's the, the last night of the meeting. You know, sometimes when you have company stays too long, you say, you know, it feels like it's been a really long time. Well, I'm going to say, I feel like I've been here a really long time, but it's only been just four days, and I've got to know you all, I've got to talk to you all, and um, really have come to appreciate so much um, the, the Somerset Church of Christ, the brethren that meet here at Somerset in this congregation, and if you happen to be visiting here tonight and not a member, and you're looking for a church family that will help you to, to grow in Jesus Christ and grow to go to heaven, and they will love you and support you and encourage you, I recommend the brethren here at this congregation. I knew you were always good brethren. I leave here tonight knowing that you're a great brethren. And if you're ever in the Greer, South Carolina area, y'all come over and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Um, appreciate it very much. I really appreciate um, the hospitality given to me by Danny and Kathy. I didn't know Danny and Kathy. Um, Danny and I had talked on the phone. I got to be friends with Kathy on Facebook about a week ago, so got to see Kathy and her, her love and positivity that she puts out. Um, but I have a confession. I, I walked into their home not knowing that Danny was a preacher. And um, it has been enriching. It's actually been, uh, we, we stayed up Sunday night to 1.30 in the morning. We stayed up Monday night to 1.30 in the morning. Last night, we had to go to bed at 10.30 at night. <laughs> and we'll see what happens tonight. But it's been enriching to me to get to know Danny, and I really mean that, and his example of, of a servant of the Lord that um, he has really given me a new level that I need to have in my life. And you, are, you know that you're very blessed to have him. I have, um, have enjoyed getting to know Luke and Paige. Um, um, talked to Luke a little bit on the phone before we came up, maybe some texting back and forth. But you have a very special uh, couple as a preacher and his wife here with you. Um, Danny and I have got to kind of uh, meet together and have coffee um, the past two mornings. I've joined it very thoroughly spent some hours together, and I really appreciate what, what you already know. I really appreciate his love for God's truth and his love for God. I appreciate very much his love for you and this congregation as he labors among you. And as Paige also um, serves here in the congregation as one of your members. So you have a fantastic couple. Love them. I hope you get to spend more time with them again. I can say more and go on, but we have a lesson to get to tonight. And uh, I thank you very much for um, the invitation to be here with you. In 1979, there was a country song that you're familiar with that Charlie Daniels Band wrote and performed a song called The Devil Went Down to Georgia. And I'm going to read um, some of the lyrics of that song. Uh, the lyrics were that the devil went down to Georgia and he was looking for a soul to steal. He was way behind because he got behind. He was willing to make a deal. Now, if you play a uh, pretty good fiddle, boy... Uh, but give the devil's due, I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. When well, you know how that song plays out. When you look at our text in the book of Matthew chapter 4, 
The devil went down to the wilderness to attack and to tempt and destroy and to discredit Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation. That was his goal. And as we look at um, here in Matthew chapter 4, there's some lessons I want us to learn when we think about the life of Jesus and what he went through in his life, what he went through in his life for you and for me. If you're an older Christian, uh, a family, you know, family age having Christian, a Christian, if you're a teenage Christian, whatever your age, Jesus gives us grace for courageous living in our life because what Jesus went through for you and for me. Whenever we look at this text and we think about Jesus, I'm just kind of to give a little bit of context of what we're looking at in this passage. Uh, we're going to be looking at the temptations of Jesus. We're going to say more about that in just a moment. But I want us to be able to leave here tonight and be able to relate to Jesus. I've read this passage dozens of times. You've read this passage dozens of times. I hope that you'll go away with it like I do, with a better appreciation for Jesus being in your daily life and for Jesus being in my daily life and how Jesus thinks about you and how Jesus thinks about me, no matter if you're a teenager or you're an adult. Uh, I want to kind of set up at first the, the setting for um, um, this temptation. Um, in the Bible, 82 times we see that Jesus is called the Son of Man. Um, one of the big mysteries of Jesus is that Jesus was fully man and Jesus is fully deity. Um, we, we can kind of explain and understand some of that. Some of that I think is intentionally left to be a mystery and that's where it stays. Uh, the things that have been revealed belong to us but the secret things belong to the Lord. And there's some things that you know, I can't always answer about. How could he be fully man and also be deity? But tonight we're going to be looking at Jesus the Son of Man going into the wilderness. Son of Man is a term that Luke would often use because Luke often would identify Jesus with his humanity. I want to go back to, um, and I'll read for us, you can keep um, Matthew chapter 4 marked in your Bible. I want to go back to the passage that we began this series with in the book of John chapter 14, John chapter 1 verse 14. John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And tonight we're going to be taking home with us that grace part. But we notice in our text that was a theme for our series uh, in, this, in this gospel meeting, that the word became flesh and that Jesus dwelt among us. So whenever we look at Jesus going to the wilderness, I just want to say this as plain as I can. Jesus was human. We can say that because he was fully man. And he was human just like you. I think a lot of times when we think about Jesus being deity and Jesus being also fully man and fully deity, I think we kind of discount the human side of that. And we kind of make him, you know, some type of super person, super power person. And, and, and that Jesus had, you know, these extra special powers to kind of get through this world. So really he can't relate to what I live, what I go through. No, Jesus came down, and Jesus did not just walk in your shoes. Jesus walked in your flesh and blood. So Jesus was human like me and you. So before we read our text, I need for you to do something for me in your mind. In your mind, when you think about Jesus, I need for you to remove the red cape of Superman before we go into this text. 
we read this text and we see here is Jesus, the Son of God. He's going to be tempted by the devil. He's going to beat the devil. He just kind of comes out of this temptation to start his ministry. And just, you know, it's just a light thing he went through. And that's not what happens. Jesus has gone into the wilderness and he has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights with no food. What does a physical body feel like when it has not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights? Anybody here fast? I tried to fast one time, determined to fast. I went to the church building to work that day and didn't have anything but water to drink. And at 4 o'clock, I broke down and went to Arby's. <laughs> I failed my fast. I couldn't do it for a third of a day. Jesus physically is exhausted. His, his body is depleted of nutrients and of water. He's tired. He's weak. He's broken down. He's in the wilderness. And it's then the devil comes to attack him at his weakest point. There is no Superman going into the wilderness. It's Jesus the man going into the wilderness. And his deity, we don't find from this text, gave him an extra edge to, to beat the devil. It was Jesus the man who was determined and dedicated to serve his father and please his father. Jesus the man is in the wilderness. Now let us read our text. Matthew chapter 4, and come down to verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into a, the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, uh, he, he shall give his angels charge concerning you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. And then the devil left him. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's look back at the temptations first. I want you to notice Jesus, who is physically weak and affects your mind and everything else too when you're that weak physically, whenever you go into this temptation, Notice that the first temptation of the devil in verse 3 is this. If you are the son of God, command that these stones be, become bread. So he's challenging Jesus to maybe question being the son of God. If you are the son of God, you know, turn these into bread. The temptation is that Jesus has not eaten. So he pits this idea of being the son of God against Jesus' desire Anybody's desire, any human being out in the wilderness, there is a desire for food. 
And Jesus is beaten down. He's worn down. He's been in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights alone. Uh, I think uh, Mark tells us that there were wild beasts in the wilderness while he was out there. And so you have a broken down, beaten down Jesus that fills his temptation. It is a temptation. He was tempted to turn. The, it felt a temptation to make the, the stones into bread. It's a real temptation. It's just not a little, you know, chit-chat between Satan and Jesus. He was tempted to do that. And Jesus answers with scriptures. We see the second temptation again. He, Satan comes to him and he says in verse 6, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for his written. And he quotes scriptures. So again, again the guy of questioning the, being the Son of God. And maybe in this temptation, and Jesus, instead of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey... And, and, and being the Son of God that goes to the cross, you can just, just, you can just kind of swoop down like Superman. I'll do it for you right now, Jesus. And you just, you'll just land right there in front of the temple. And people see you coming from the heavens and, and in the clouds. And you just kind of float down and your feet just land on the ground. And you say, I'm Jesus. Well, you could go that route or you can go the cross route. Jesus chose to go the cross route. And you're not going to tempt the Lord thy God. Then he takes Jesus to a very exceedingly high mountain. And notice the control that the devil did have there in the temptation. And by the way, the second temptation was tempting for Jesus to do. That's why it's called a temptation. And so we see in the third temptation that Satan says, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the world and all those, the glory if you will fall down and worship me. And I believe that's the same worship word that Jesus and Mark, in John chapter 4, verse 24, he said, you should worship God in spirit and truth. That you'll worship me. And, and, Satan said, and Jesus says, away with you, Satan. You should worship only the Lord your God. And how was that a temptation to Jesus? When you look at um, Philippians chapter 2, talking about Jesus humbling himself, taking on the form of the man. Then it goes on to say, even to the point of death, it goes on to say that God has highly exalted him and put all things, all powers, all kingdoms under his feet. But he had to go through the cross to receive that position. The devil's given him the shortcut. And to Jesus it was a temptation. And Jesus denied the temptation. But well, I want you to look very closely at verse 11. Because Jesus denied himself the temptations, the devil leaves him. And then the Bible says, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Where's your Superman? Where's your super Jesus? Where's your Jesus that really he didn't feel temptation like we feel temptation? Where's the super Jesus that doesn't get hungry or thirst like we thirst? He's been there 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil came to beat at him with all his might. At his weakest point. I ask you the question. Why did angels plural. Have to come and help him. Maybe he need help. To get out of the wilderness. How many angels came. In the garden of Gethsemane. I think we sing that in a song. Levis. One of the other gospel accounts. Says one of the gospel accounts. Tells us an angel. Singular came. But this tells us angels, plural, came to help him. So we don't have Jesus with a Superman cape. So whenever we look at Jesus, we see that in the temptations of Jesus, 
Jesus went through this. He had to go through the temptations to establish a number of things, but he had to go through the temptations before he went through the cross for your sins and my sins. What lessons can we learn from Jesus going through the temptations that is personal to us in our life as Christians that can help us when we're tempted, like Jesus was tempted? Uh, how, can we, um, how can it help us? Well, first, when you think about Jesus Christ and Christians, we belong to Jesus. He died for us. He came to earth, took on a fleshly form to live the life and feel the life and know the life that you and I live. He knows how we feel. And let me just say this. Don't ever, ever doubt in your mind Jesus does not know how you feel or what you go through in life. If it is temptation for sin, it is trials just in life that can beat you down. If it is working too long at the job and you're exhausted, Jesus was a carpenter. I'm sure he worked some long hours sometimes. If it is, you know, friends kind of, you know, make fun of you or something. His brothers didn't mean to believe during his ministry they didn't believe in Jesus. Whatever we might feel and go through, don't ever use the cop-out or the excuse that God doesn't know how I feel. The temptations of Jesus in the wilderness teaches us Jesus knows how you feel in our life. When we go through trials, when we go through temptations, and Jesus, though, did not give in to the temptations, but do you know the feeling that you get, the feeling I get whenever we sin? You let God down, I let God down. We know that feeling, that, that, that in your gut sick feeling that I failed. I'm going to ask God to forgive me and pick myself and keep going on, but I failed and have that gut-wrenching feeling. Yeah, he never had that gut-wrenching feeling, but you know what? His temptation was more severe than yours and mine. He never gave in. You and I give in way up here somewhere. He never gave in. So Jesus understands, and Jesus can give us grace for, uh, for living as a Christian. James chapter 1. Um, Jesus understands your battle with temptation. We kind of already talked about that. I want you to notice something from James chapter 1. So James is writing to Christians who are discouraged and, you know, they're kind of going through trials, but they're also getting, you know, a little bit too much mixed up in the world. And James is going to talk to them about temptations. Um, but look at our text, and let's go to James chapter 1 and verse 12, and let's read a few passages. It says, Blessed is a man who endures temptations, for when he's been proved, he'll receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot, tempt, be, cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now watch this. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Uh, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I want you to notice there's just two parts of this text that I think is very important for us to see. I want you to look back at verse, um, verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man. Blessed is the Christian, the teenager, the man or the woman. Blessed is the man who endures temptations. Okay, so we're tempted to sin. Uh, look down at verse um, 13. No one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. But look at verse 14. But each one is tempted when? Stop right there. Stop. Look up here. Don't, don't look, look up here. Don't look at your Bibles. <laughs> so far we've read we've been tempted in this text, but we haven't sinned. 
So let me ask you a question. Do you deal with temptations in your life? I deal with temptations. You deal with temptations. Let's talk about some heavy ones. Maybe somebody has a heavy temptation to, to lie. Maybe somebody has the heavy temptation to uh, maybe use profanity. Maybe somebody has the heavy temptation to look at pornography. Maybe somebody has a heavy temptation to kind of as a teenager go along with the crowd, do some things you shouldn't do. Maybe somebody has a heavy temptation when it comes to modest apparel to want to dress like this world. Now stop. You haven't done it. But does that make you a dirty Christian because you're tempted? You see? Was Jesus tempted in the wilderness? Yes. Did that make Jesus a dirty son of man when he felt temptation? No. You feel temptation? I feel temptation. Jesus in the wilderness, he felt temptation. But not only that, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus was tempted long before he went into that wilderness. Remember what he said at the age of 12? Whenever Mary and Joseph were looking for Jesus because they thought they lost him on the pilgrimage going back from Jerusalem. He said, did you not know I must be about my father's business? How did he know that? You know, sometimes at the age of 12, we read it's an age of accountability. We understand good and evil and right and wrong. How did he know that? So let's say he understood the age 12, right and wrong, and the age of accountability. And he doesn't begin his ministry till for, he doesn't go into the desert for, until he's about 30. So 12 minus 30, help me out, is that 18? <laughs> for 18 years, 18 years, Jesus was already tempted as a human being. 18 years, he, he obeyed his God. Don't ever think that Jesus um, does not understand our temptations but don't ever think that you're bad or dirty because you feel tempted. We are dirty with sin when we give into temptation. And then God cleanses us from the sin when we ask God to forgive us and we repented of it. But being tempted does not make you a bad or a dirty Christian. That makes you a strong Christian because you're still saying no. Jesus said no. Number two, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. The Hebrew writer talks a lot about Jesus and being our great high priest, and therefore he has to talk a lot about the, much about the humanity of Jesus. Jesus uh, knows your struggles. Jesus knows your struggles. Let me talk about some struggles that we can go through, and, and um, we'll, let's look at the passage first, and we'll look at some of the struggles. Look at um, verse 9. Talking about our salvation, not to neglect so great a salvation. And look what we read in verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We see the cross in that. You see the grace of God in that passage. Please come down to verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood... He himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death uh, were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he gives aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, therefore in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. When we look back at our passage, we see in this passage, when you go down to verse 16, that Jesus gives aid to Abraham's seed. That would be me and you. We see in verse 14 that Jesus had to be partakers of flesh and blood like us. And we see also when we come down to verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore in all things Jesus had to be made like you and me. For what? To be that propitiation for our sins. And also to be that mediator for our sins. Jesus knows your struggles. Now, I, was, I, I kind of read this passage and thought about it several times. Like, so was Jesus tempted to look at porn? Was Jesus tempted to drink alcohol? I can't say he was. <laughs> I probably would say no. But he was still tempted by many things. And, and Jesus said no to those things. He, he, has, he has felt the power of temptation is my point. But I'll tell you what, for us as Christians, that can be something that is very powerful. I have a friend who is a Christian, and we talked one night about pornography. And this is something that, after he was married, uh, some pornography is something he looked at before he became a Christian. Um, married a very fine, outstanding Christian lady. And in the marriage, he got caught by his wife looking at pornography. And what he described it as, he says, he said, Luther, it's like pornography and the devil in pornography knows how to tap into everything, into your desires, in your mind, your heart, and controls everything. And he said, I felt like I was down in a deep, dark, black, pitch black hole with pornography, and I didn't know how to get out of that hole. He was addicted to pornography. Now, years later, he's a Christian, leading song-leaning in the church, encouraging other people, because Jesus helped him with what he struggled with. Did Jesus struggle with that sin? You know, I don't know. I'd say no. I don't know. All I know is Jesus struggled with sin. All I know is when our brother was in that deep, dark hole, my Savior had been in a deep, dark wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights intended by the devil. Don't say Jesus is not understanding. You ever hear somebody say, nobody knows how I feel. Nobody understands how I feel. God can't understand how I feel. Oh, yes, he does. Not because God went through it. God let his child go through it. That's how God understands. Number two, so he understands our temptation. Please turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. What do you do when you mess up? <laughs> we make mistakes. We sin. Uh, there might be big sins or little sins. There's no really thing big sin. Sin is sin. But, you know, when you and I sin, we kind of feel like we're in our big dark hole. and We just feel like a, a failure because, you know, I beat this sin and I went and did it again. And you kind of feel disappointed about yourself and you don't know where to go. And where you go is you go to Jesus for courageous living. Look what the Hebrew writer says in verse 14. And to me, this is probably one of the most important, strongest, encouraging, boldest stating texts that says, 
when you sin and you fail or you need help because you're tempted, you pray about it and you go to Jesus and from his throne, he helps you or he will forgive you and he will pick you up. Look what he says in verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us all fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So what I want us to see in this passage is when you feel like you let God down, or I feel like I let God down, or you've sinned that sin again, or you've done something to embarrass your parents or embarrass your family, embarrass yourself, embarrass your brethren here at the church, whatever your failure is, whatever your sin is, just go to Jesus. doesn't matter how bad it is. We had a brother in Christ... I think I met him when he was 35, and when he was about 20, so for about 15 years, he lived the homosexual lifestyle. But I'll tell you what, when he came back, he came back totally faithful. He came to the church, he confessed, I believe, of a homosexual, I'm giving it up, I want God to forgive me, I want this church to be my new family. He's a faithful Christian today. Pretty strong sin to confess before the church. What we see is there is nothing that you can do when it comes to sinning and repent and want to come back to God that the Bible says in verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. If that is need to overcome the temptation, go to the throne of grace. If that is need for forgiveness for giving in the temptation, come to the throne of grace. But how are you going to come to the throne of grace? You know, when you do an embarrassing sin and you're going to go before the church and confess that sin, it's pretty embarrassing. Let's just talk about going before God. Does he say, look, you've sinned again, you messed up again, so if you're going to come to God for prayer, either in private prayer, if it's not a public sin, you take this passage, you go do this passage in private prayer to God, He forgives you, you go on. If it's public sin, come up front, and, and, and the brethren will pray for you. But in coming to God, He doesn't say, you just kind of come to God very mousy, like this failure for a thousand times, like you're worthless, and you're devalued for God, He loves you less. That's not what He says. He says you could become boldly before the throne. Same word used when the apostles will proclaim Christ. It means to forthright speak, to fully speak when they were preaching boldly Christ. He says, when you come before the throne of God, don't do it like God does not care. Come tell God all what your need is. Do it boldly before God. Don't do it as if you're not you're wimpy before God or you're not worth anything before God. And we will find grace to help in our time of need. In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 9, let me just say something about coming forward. <laughs> if it's a private sin, you pray to God about it. Ask God to forgive you. We've studied all about grace this, these past four days. God forgives you. You go on serving God and be faithful. And, and God's wiped that sin away. It doesn't exist anymore. But if it's a public sin, come forward. There's a third reason to come forward. 
that maybe you've asked God to forgive you for that sin, but you just want to be stronger. And I've seen so many brethren come forward many times in tears, and they sit here, and they're broken because of their sin. And what happens is, we all go before the throne of grace for that person. And we all pray for that person. And we all pray God forgive them of their sin. And we all pray God encourage them. We all pray God make them stronger. And that person that gets up and starts to walk out the door, they are different than the person that came up here. They just walk out feeling stronger. There's, some, there's power in prayer. One habit, one congregation I was at, is that when somebody would come forward, the church would line up and everybody would hug them after we prayed for them. Or they were baptized. Everybody come up and they would hug. Now what happens on Wednesday night is we did the invitation before Bible study. And so you know how long it takes for a church to come up and hug somebody because they came forward and then you're only going to have about a 10-minute Bible class? <laughs> but, hey, that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. My point being is there's power in brethren praying for you. Don't ever think you're too bad for brethren not to, to pray for you. And finally tonight, I want you to learn to depend upon your church family for encouragement. And I want to encourage you as a Somerset Church of Christ, never lose focus that we are here to help one another grow, overcome temptation and sin, no matter where somebody's at in, in their spiritual level of growth. Um, turn with me over to the passage in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. I love this passage. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Uh, a little background. You remember Paul went to Thessalonica and preached the gospel and converted some people and started the church there. And then there was that mob, angry mob that ran Paul out of town. And, um, and so Paul's been run out of town. And he's wondering what happened to those people I baptized. It's thought that maybe 1 Thessalonians was written maybe one year after Paul had left from up there. He wants to know how the brethren are doing. And he hears that they're doing well. The church is flourishing and growing and doing well. So he writes to this church of babes in Christ. I mean, they've been Christians for, let's say, a year. They're babes in Christ. And look what he says for them, how they're to treat each other in, in verse 14. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, number one, warm those who are unruly. Look up here for just a moment. If a Christian is being unruly and out here living a sinful lifestyle in Somerset, you go sit them down in love. And you warn them. You talk to them about it. What you're doing is wrong. You're being unruly when it comes to the law of God. You need to stop doing that behavior. He actually does that in a very nice way. And in the beginning of chapter 4, he says, you know, we kind of told you all when we were there that you're not to covet other another man's wife or something. You know, stay away from fornication. He says it in a very kind way because there are babes in Christ. He says that in a very strong way in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. They should have known better. But when somebody's doing something they should not do, we are to warn the unruly. But look at what he says next. He says, comfort the faint-hearted. You know, sometimes some Christians just have a stronger strength within them. Some Christians are just more faint-hearted. They just don't, they're, they're just, it's their nature. It's the, way, it's the way they are. You know, you ever meet some people that just are just, you know, they can withstand a storm. And some people, just something little, you know, like a feather, kind of just moves them around. They're, they're kind of ruffled about that. And, and what is, in any congregation, you're going to have people with different personalities and different makes up, different emotions. 
um, some Christians are going to be faint-hearted. You know, sometimes we get faint-hearted when we get older. <laughs> uh, we had a man in our church, um, as he got older, he would cry more. He was one of the most loving Christians I ever knew. But just as he got older, he got more faint-hearted in some ways. He, he would just cry more. He got emotional. Um, so he tells us that just because somebody in church isn't as strong as you are, maybe they're faint-hearted. Well, how am I to treat them? I'm, I'm, he says in the text that you are to comfort them, but turn it around on them. When they walk into the church, how, how should they expect the brethren at Somerset to treat them? They're faint-hearted. Well, you comfort them. Do what you can to comfort them. Then he goes on to say, you uphold the weak. I know it's not a Bible verse. I kind of made it myself. In any congregation, in any given time, the weak will always be with you. <laughs> You're always going to have somebody who's a babe in Christ. You're always going to have somebody at a lower level of spiritual growth than you. D don't, don't think that we're more higher and mightier than they. Actually, you are the greater servant in the equation for them. So when somebody is weak in the church or somebody's struggling in the church or somebody's a new Christian in the church, Paul says, you uphold them. You lift up their arms like they had to uplift, hold up Moses' arms when they're in the wilderness. So for us as Christians, we don't beat up the weak. We uphold the weak. I have a Christian I've gone to, to church with for, um, oh, wow, 18 years now, I believe. And I've always known that he had an anger problem. If anybody can have an anger problem and still be the sweetest guy in the world, it's this guy. Because he's the first one that tells you he has an anger problem. And he actually had... He had a, a brain injury at some time in his life. He'd been in the military, and he just, you know, he'll be the first one to tell you, I have an anger problem. You know, I really never have seen it. But um, he came forward one Sunday, and he said, at work, you know, this one guy got on my, my wife calls it, somebody gets on your never-ending nerve. <laughs> You've had it all you could take from that person. Well, somebody did that to this guy. His name's Tony. Tony doesn't mind me using the name. And Tony came, Tony lost it at work and said something he shouldn't have said that wasn't kind. And Tony came forward and said, I want forgiveness for that. I admire that. Hey, that's Tony's weakness. That's his weak spot. And we know we're going to encourage him and, and uphold him and, and help him in that. We had a different situation that I got called to someone's house and come to find out a young man who's a Christian was dating a girl who was not a Christian. And I get called there, and I come and I sit down and have my Bible and fold my hands, and father's there, the boy's there, the girl's there. And um, father says, tell him. And the boy looks at me and says, she's pregnant. And they've studied with her, and um, she wanted to be baptized. They want to know how to handle it. And I said, well, you know, well, I studied with her too. She was ready to be baptized. So she was baptized. But my advice was, um, you all need to come forward together and tell the church what happened, have the church pray for you, get everything out in the open, everybody's on the same page. And you know what happened? They came forward. Sat on the front pew. I made the confession. We prayed for them. People came up and hugged them like the, what they did in that church. But one man and wife did not come up. It's a couple who always thought they were higher than other people spiritually. 
And for six months, they put that young man and that new Christian young girl on probation before they ever would go talk to them after church services. I'm just like, well, huh. you know, kind of shocking. It doesn't matter what the sin was. It's already gone because she washed her away in baptism. And he, he, he was forgiven by prayer. And they're clean. It's already gone. What are you holding against them? Can you help me out here? And she's weak. He's weak. We need to uphold the weak as Christians. And then he goes on to say in the passage, be patient with all. Jesus and Christians, you should have encouragement in your church family, and you should be the type of church family, and I know you are, I know you are, that's always willing to think in that way and love in that way and encourage in that way when people are, are trying to do right and do right in serving the Lord. I'm going to close our study of um, Grace for Courageous Living with a passage in the book of Matthew chapter 25. And Matthew chapter 25, we're going to look at verse 34 and then we're going to offer our invitation. So Jesus comes down to earth. He's tempted all of his life as a human being. Doesn't give in to it goes through the severe dark hole of the temptation in the wilderness. He does not give in to it. He's flesh and blood. We are flesh and blood. He was human. We are human. He knows how we feel. We're told to come before the throne of grace in our time of need. And Jesus, our advocate, is there to help us, encourage us, and lift us up. And I believe when I pulled in here, the sign said, The Lakeside Church of Christ, Body of Christ. You belong to him. And we are as a church to behave like him also. And when we look at encouraging one another, Jesus says, I did this for you, and I'm going to treat you this way, but let me tell you how I feel when you treat my brethren a certain way, whether it be good or bad. Look at verse 34. The king, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick when you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Every time you encourage a teenager, a Christian, a man or woman in the Lord's church, you are doing it to Jesus. So everything he's done for us, he's given us everything that we need for Grace for courageous living. Jesus gives us grace to be ready to go to heaven one day. And he's given us a church family to help us get there. Thank you for your attention. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has given you his grace and his love. He wants you to believe in Jesus, to hear God's word, to repent from sins, make that good confession of faith. Be baptized and live faithfully. Be faithful to him. We've talked about all week how he will help you to go to heaven 
and you have a church family to help you to get there. If you need prayers for encouragement or, or for prayers for forgiveness, if we can help you to be ready to go to heaven, come forward while we stand and while we sing.